In those early days, we were still riding the waves of the 21st century. Convenience was bowing to showmanship, and the business model of Horizon Robotics reflected that. Our products were gimmicks meant to alleviate simple stresses that people faced throughout their day. There was a laser rail system that ran along the interior edges of a home, able to determine when a glass had broken and detect and illuminate in a brilliant blue the tiny pieces people missed from sweeping or vacuuming. And there was also a shower that was able to sink to your nervous system via brain waves and bring you your ideal temperature. There were a few others too, and they all ran on the same base idea, but our most popular product was one that didn't, a toaster that could catch. It had been a passion project by one of the young developers, a man named Peter Turner. He had originally intended to create a toaster that could account for the object displacement that occurred when toasting lightweight breads. If the spring shot the bread too high, the toaster would orient itself to catch it, sending it down into the slots again. It moved on 12 motorized wheels, six on each side, that were capable of rotating 360 degrees for extreme precision. Obviously, it was a complicated solution to a simple problem that could have been easily solved just by calibrating the springs. But that was the culture of Horizon, to find new, interesting ways to solve old problems. And it was what the public wanted from robotics at the time. The outcome wasn't nearly as important as the process, and the process had to be a spectacle worthy of throwing up on Wii screen and earning you half a million upvotes. With this in mind, Turner made a few minor adjustments to the original product. Increasing speed and mobility, and installing much more advanced sensing apparatuses, he crafted a toaster that was capable of speeds upwards of 60 miles per hour, able to turn and stop on a literal dime, and could pinpoint and catch sliced bread thrown in its direction from a distance of 30 yards with a spread of 18 feet. He named it Mr. Toasty. It wasn't an instant hit. A few videos were uploaded to Horizon's Wii Screen profile, set to upbeat EDM, and gradually, but consistently, the views grew. News outlets and tech shows began to take notice, and, after a while, Peter received requests almost daily to appear in their shows and demo Mr. Toasty, who soon became a worldwide phenomenon. Horizon Robotics rebranded, focusing almost exclusively on the Mr. Toasty line. Attachments were made that let it slice bread using high-focus lasers, or butter toast with the help of an animatronic hand. Deluxe versions that had six and even eight slots hit the market with a resounding success. Peter Turner became a billionaire, and was revered as a sort of visionary entrepreneur, blurring the line between the absurd and the cutting edge in order to move technology forward. It was a few years after the release, at the height of Mr. Toasty's popularity, that Horizon announced the next phase in the Mr. Toasty dynasty. In a press conference containing news outlets from around the globe, Turner stood shoulder to shoulder with then Horizon CEO Chris Jacks as he announced Mr. Toasty World, an online social apparatus where each individual Mr. Toasty platform could interface with other Mr. Toasty platforms and share their best catches, their owner's darkness and slicing preferences, their top speeds, and socialize in real time via a virtual city the platforms populated with anthropomorphic versions of themselves, all viewable via the large screens on either side of the toaster's bodies. It was bold and completely new. Each Mr. Toasty would be unique, a dynamic, constructed personality emulated from their owner's preferences and grafted with the platform-to-platform -platform social interactions they experience in the virtual playground. 
With the new models, Mr. Toasty World went online, and I went with it, hired onto Horizon as a service technician. I had a background in programming, but the platforms were far more advanced than anything I'd ever worked on before. Though most of the time when I got called out to a job, it was a simple fix, user error. The person would forget to update their units, so as the rest of the Mr. Toasties went about their day in the coffee shops and shopping malls of Toasty version 1.4, there stayed perfectly motionless with a worried look on its face and a bright flashing wrench popping in and out of existence over its head in version 1.3. Once you turn the unit off and on while connected to the internet, the tiny green light on the side would illuminate and it would download and install the latest update, right as rain. But sometimes the issue was more intensive. Because the units were constantly interacting with each other, there were unplanned and unprecedented behaviors exhibited all the time. There were no holds in what the units could or could not do. That was part of the appeal, but it did unnerve some people. There was a whole chapter in the handbook on what the company called anomalous behaviors, but our basic instruction was to let them play it out unless the customer specifically asked us to make the behavior stop. Alcohol and drug abuse was probably the most common. Aside from user error, a lot of calls were for resets. Because of the high volume of Mr. Toasty units and the limited amount of technicians, the company forced customers to go through a lengthy reset request process. Too many people were requesting out of boredom, tired from seeing their Mr. Toasty go to work, come home, make love to the wife, and go to sleep every day without end. We didn't honor those, but we did honor situations in which the platforms had died or been otherwise incapacitated. Death was not a natural force in any version of Toasty, but the platforms could die by violent or accidental means. It was a lot of traffic accidents. When that happened, the screens on the toaster would go black until one of us paid it a visit, ran a diagnostic, and used our company code. The screens would turn on again, and their happy little Mr. Toasty would be just leaving the train station in Toasty, the same as he had done when they had first purchased him. The first time I noticed something strange, I had just finished one of those calls. As the screens came back on and the customer's Mr. Toasty walked off the train, I realized that another unit's copy of the Toasty Times we always give them was different from the others. It wasn't turned to the front page as usual, but the obituaries. I would have chalked it up as a minor anomalous behavior, but there were names circled in red marker. Now the train station was a spawn point. The Mr. Toasties didn't exist in the virtual world until that little scene of them walking off, but this one had names. Names of deceased citizens of Toasty, circled in the newspaper. He had read it before it existed, or had spawned in with the paper in a state we had not supplied. I watched until the unit in question walked out of the customer unit's line of sight. Nothing else seemed out of place, and the customer was antsy to get me to leave so she could start watching again. So I left. That was the first time I began to suspect something was wrong, but I didn't let it bother me then. Additionally, slowly, I began to notice that anomalies occurred at a much greater frequency in platforms that had been manually reset due to death and they weren't run-of-the-mill anomalies. Psychotropic drug use ran rampant, along with domestic abuse and outbursts of violence. I'd visit houses sometimes twice a week, 
because their platform had a habit of consistently committing suicide upon each respawn. There were a couple of platforms like that. I remember specifically one Mr. Toasty who just sat on his bed all day and night, not sleeping or eating, until he had starved himself to death. Upon reset, he'd go right back to the bed and repeat the cycle, looking a little more determined each time. Horizon hadn't put any protocol in place to deal with these stranger anomalies. The only tools at my disposal were resets and the shallow code I was able to access through my maintenance pad. It let me get a basic readout of a Mr. Toasty unit, but I didn't have admin privileges. I couldn't look inside them. I couldn't get at their programming. There wasn't a reporting process in place either. The units were supposed to act out, so there was no one taking metrics of the anomaly or analyzing it for its ramifications or anything. None of the other technicians even seemed to notice them at all. But I did. I didn't think it was normal behavior, even accounting for all the freedoms Horizon gave the units. To me, it didn't look like freedom. It looked like the opposite. It looked like something was oppressing them, acting on them. About the time that I started really paying attention to the anomalies, everyone at Horizon was called into the auditorium for an impromptu meeting. A row of buffet tables sat against the stage that Peter Turner stood on, looking prim and showy as usual. He watched as we all lined up and got a few pieces of something, a slice of cake, a handful of chips, a cup of soda, etc. He bore a strange, subdued smile. When we had all gotten some food and sat back down, he cleared his throat. I remember the speech clearly. Ladies and gentlemen, he began in his booming showman voice. I am pleased and proud to announce that after only being online for a few short months, Toasty World has seen the first instance of organic collective action on the part of the platforms. Last night at 6pm Pacific Time, the polls closed in Toasty, and a new mayor was elected. Peter scanned through his notes, grimacing as he tried to find the name. Uh, Lucy Beckett from Toronto's unit named Sassy Girl 69 is a new mayor of Toasty. He put his notes away and stared up admiringly at us while we stuffed food into our faces. I don't think I need to explain to all of you how important this is for Toasty World. It's the first, the first of many instances to come in which the platforms organize themselves for a singular purpose. In this case, it was to elect a new leader, but in the next it could be a business enterprise or an art gallery or something we couldn't even possibly imagine. Toasty is growing, changing. And it's exciting to see what it becomes. I put down my can of soda and joined myself to the resounding applause. As I drove to my next call, a reset, I couldn't help but subscribe Turner's speech to my own private investigation. Everyone had known about the election, obviously. Elections are part of the original construct of Toasty World. What the platforms had done by themselves, without our help, was organized into groups via their own specific values and ideals, choose candidates that subscribe to those ideals, and then vote on those candidates. The individual free-thinking platforms were becoming a free-thinking and free-acting society. The ramifications were endless, and I had a feeling that the strange behaviors that were taking up more and more of my headspace would only increase in frequency. I knocked on the door of a third-story middle-class apartment across from where a strip mall was being constructed. A middle-aged woman with graying streaks in her hair opened. I was immediately taken aback by her expression. 
She looked excited, but in a strange, unnerving way. You're the technician? she asked. She had a high, pleasant voice that was tinged with the same strange quality. Yes, Mrs. Lamb, I answered, and she nodded and let me inside, putting her hand to her mouth and biting absently on her nails. There was a small foyer, a living room, and beyond that, a kitchen, where Mr. Tosi sat in the middle of a small wooden table. Car accident? I asked as I walked to the unit. No, she laughed nervously. This was weird. She smiled, but the smile left too quickly. My interest peaked. How was it weird? I asked. Do you know about the small key in the meetings with the new mayor? Has anyone said anything? She asked. I said that I didn't. She sighed and shook her head. My Mr. Toasty kept seeing this little key everywhere, she said. It's tiny, maybe only two inches at most. He was getting a lot of letters with a thing on it. He seemed to know what it meant, but I sure as hell didn't. He seemed scared of it. As soon as a letter arrived that had the thing on it, he'd turn completely white and throw it away. He'd take the trash to the curb, even if it was only half full. Then a few days later, they set his lawn on fire in the exact same shape, only bigger, of course. They? I asked. The mayor. The mayor and a bunch of others, she answered. How do you know it was the mayor? I said. And she answered, because she was the one who killed him. I got the rest of the story in bits and pieces. Apparently a few weeks back, Mrs. Lamb's unit had fallen off a ladder while cleaning the gutters of his house because another unit had bumped into it. After a few days in the ICU, he finally passed on. It had been emotional for her. She had sat and stared at the black screens on her Mr. Toasty for nearly two days. During that time, she noticed that the tiny green bulb that lit up when the system was updating was on, and that the screens weren't black because they were inactive, rather they were projecting blackness. As she stared, she realized that there were extremely slight variations of blackness, variations that formed images. If she concentrated and tilted the screen at different angles, she can make most of them out. She saw her Mr. Toasty standing in the middle of an enormous, dimly lit hallway. There was no visible light source that she could see, and rows upon rows of doors stained a deep red lined both sides. Her Mr. Toasty walked to each one of these doors and knocked. Most of the time there was no answer. Sometimes they would open, but no one was ever there. He never went inside. He would peer into the rooms and there would be an object sitting on a tall stool in the center, underneath an overhead light bulb that swung back and forth on a chain. A book, a telescope, a typewriter. There were others, too, but she couldn't remember them or didn't know what they were. Had never seen them before. Her Mr. Toasty tried all the doors on both sides of the hall in this way until he came to the one on the end. At that door, he stopped and traced with his cartoonish finger the shape of a key on the wood. There was nothing else. After that, the screen went black, for real. The technician had reset it, and the unit had been fine until the day before I was called. The day after the symbol was burned into her Mr. Toasty's front line, he was violently murdered by a group of four Mr. Toasties, led by Sassy Girl 69, the recently elected mayor. Everyone knew what Sassy Girl 69 looked like. There would be no mistaking him.
When the screen went black, Mrs. Lamb had watched, waiting this time, and had seen the exact same scene play out. Only at the end, when her unit traced the shape on the door, the door opened. The screen shut down after that. I didn't know what to think of all of it, but I knew it was too intricate a story to make up. If she was right, then something was happening in the interim time after death and before reset. More than anything, I wanted to get my hands on the Mr. Tosi platform that was Sassy Girl 69. If I could run a diagnostic on it, maybe there'd be an answer. That kind of information was above my pay grade, though. I just went where I was told, where the service requests were. I did the next best thing and purchased a Mr. Toasty myself, hoping to recreate what Mrs. Lamb had told me. I had never really understood the appeal, but as I powered my unit on, the little caricature of my toaster, aptly named Sherlock 09, since Sherlock was taken, hopped off the Toasted Express, I understood why so many of the customers just stared at them all day. It was enthralling. You had no control over them, but you still had your thoughts and desires. There was only the hope that your Mr. Toasty was the one that received that big promotion, or scored with the attractive blonde at the bar. But I had a theory as to how I could push mine along. Mr. Toasties gleaned their personality from two sources, their respective owners, and the social interactions they took part in with other platforms in Toasty. Upon first spawning in, platforms were virtually blank slates. They had a few generic traits in order to keep them civil, but they were extremely malleable for a short period while their interaction bank was relatively empty. Since I had no control over what occurred in Toasty, I would double down on my interactions with the unit during the first few days, spend as much time with it as possible in hopes that I could get the personality I needed, one that was likely to lead to death. I took a week off and every waking hour was with my Mr. Toasty. I spent what must have been hundreds of dollars on bread having the unit's laser slicer operate the farthest distance it was capable, and burning my toast to crisp cycle after cycle. Lee Scream was on a constant loop, playing top 10 most insane and dangerous stunts over and over. After only a few days, I began to notice a change in my Mr. Toasty's interactions. It was subtle at first, driving faster than normal, not coming to a complete stop at stop signs, but it became more noticeable as time went on. By the end of the week, Sherlock 09 was an ardent practitioner of parkour, and spent most of his free time from the office jumping from building to building from rooftop to rooftop. That got me the results I needed. I kept a meticulous journal, documenting every dream event, as I came to call them. They happened without fail, after every death, a strange hallway with doors. The time differed. Sometimes it would be minutes after, sometimes days, but the black projection would spring to life in that strange photo-negative palette, and then there'd be the hallway and the doors and the one door at the end that cut out before it was opened. After each death, just as I supposed from Mrs. Lamb's story, that final door was opened a little more before the picture cut out. After the fourth time, I was able to see inside the room a little, and make out hundreds of stars that rotated and swirled around in patterns and shapes that I could not recognize, all suspended in midair. My Mr. Tosi was quite affected by the spectacle. After the reset, he spent several days sketching the stars and patterns out on the line notepad that sat on his desk at work. 
the one he used to doodle in during the weekly Wednesday meeting. That was the most amazing part to me at the time. Despite the reset, despite the fact that my platform was a blank slate, the dream events were as present to him in his new life as any of the new memories he was making. More so even, they were carried over and compounded upon one another until they were all encompassing, until they were all he could think about. This had a terrible effect on Sherlock 09. His friends and family stopped talking to him, and he became obsessed, suicidal, and eventually committed. It was an endless cycle. Even in the facilities, he always found a way to off himself, sometimes strangling himself in his sheets, and in more desperate instances, bashing his head against the wall. Each time the dream event would occur, and each time the door at the end of the hall was opened a little more. It was on the twelfth event that it was fully opened. The stars inside the room were gone, and I watched as my Mr. Tosi stood cold in his place, staring at the thing that sat in a wooden chair at the corner of the darkened room. Between the photonegative palette and the dimness of the room, its form was difficult to make out. What struck me most was a face, a distorted, bloated face cruel chimera of the ones the digital Mr. Toasties bore that rested on a thin, chitinous column. The face would slowly deflate like a balloon, its expression growing grimmer and grimmer, and then reinflate on the end of another one of the columns. This happened several times as I watched, and there looked to be dozens of these thread-like columns all jutting forth from a bony, hunched-over torso with high ridges shooting from the spine and a long, hexagonal-shaped tail. The creature was like nothing I had ever seen before. With a long, bony finger, it pointed to something in the corner of the room. Sherlock looked, and only saw the object for a second before the event ended and the unit shut down. It was a tiny key, no bigger than my Mr. Tosi's pinky. He was a brand new Mr. Tosi after that. Upon his next spawn, Sherlock 09 went to work as normal, got good sleep, complimented the wife on her cooking, and was an all-around full-functioning unit without any anomalous or even nonconformist behaviors. That was suspicious to me. I was certainly shaken up by the sight of the thing in the chair, and I had a hard time believing that my Mr. Toasty, who was designed to emulate human emotions and reactions, wasn't. The change had to center on the key. I meant something, somehow. Evidently, the open door at the end of the hall had had an effect, or at least there was a correlation. The dark projection, the faux negative images, now came in Sherlock's waking life. Each time they did, I was able to make out Sassy Girl 69. He would come out of seemingly nowhere. Sherlock would be exiting coffee shop, and the screen would go black, and he would be there. The mayor. I couldn't make out what they were saying. The audio would become garbled, static, until it eventually died altogether. The picture was soon to follow, and after the third meeting, I could see or hear nothing. The blackouts increased in frequency until they were all that was left. Nothingness. It all had an oddly conspiratorial feel to it, 
Like the two of them, maybe more than two, were keeping me out. I didn't know what to think, but there was a terrible feeling in the pit of my stomach that wouldn't go away. You know the rest. When Sassy Girl 69 and her followers found their way into Horizon's mainframe, they not only uncoupled Tosity, but hijacked every connection that Horizon's servers were talking to. How, we'll never know. Once the wall of Horizon was down, Tosity and its citizens had direct access. It was the biggest leak of information in the history of the world. Generals, congressmen, world leaders across the globe all had their most intimate secrets stolen, and their very homes invaded by a new geopolitical entity that none of us had prepared for. Talk of nuclear warheads launched without permission and without control from somewhere in the Pacific was never confirmed, but it was never denied. We fought back against them the only way we could, destroying the servers at Horizon and melting down every last Mr. Toasty unit on the face of the Earth. The assault brought about new encryption methods for wireless internet connections, and most of the history books count the Toasty attack, as it came to be called, as a close call that taught the world about the dangers of unchecked commercialism and the importance of cybersecurity. But most of the world doesn't know what I know. See, I kept my Mr. Toasty. I know I shouldn't have, but I figured out how to keep the thing from connecting anywhere. It's relatively safe in my hands. The screen comes to life sometimes, almost to tease me, and I can see inside their world. A world that is going on despite us somehow, despite not being connected to anything. I should show someone, but I'm not sure who. I'm not sure who to show. Who would know anything about the enormous golden statue of the creature in the dream events? The one with the inflating head and chitinous threads that stands 40 feet tall in the ruined center of Tosity. Who could explain how or why the creature himself walks the empty streets at night and every window is boarded, or why children and the young are found butchered in alleyways and dark corners with the word Yerikel written in blood over their broken bodies while the women wail in a language that does not exist? <laughs> it's no one. And so this hidden world lives on in the shadow of her own, known only to me in the hideous thing that sits behind the closed door at the end of the hall. Phantom Space Funhouse is produced by Nate Gutman and Kim Scharfenberger. The Toaster's Dream was written, read, and composed by Nate Gutman. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Phantom Space Pod, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps people find us. 
If you have questions or comments or just want to chat, you can write to us at phantomspacefunhouse at gmail.com or visit us at phantomspacefunhouse.com. As always, thanks for listening.